How you doing, Mosaic? Doing all right? Well, we had a uh, we had a good Thanksgiving. I, I don't know about you, but like this is like the big turn for me. Like this whole weekend, we kind of turn the corner and start the mad dash towards Christmas, uh, which is really interesting because it's still Thanksgiving weekend. I don't know if you noticed, but I mean, it is like on like Donkey Kong when it comes to Christmas. Like the lights went up like overnight in our neighborhood. Just boom, lights everywhere. Trees are up. Like the radio stations are playing the Christmas music. I mean, it's I mean, what a slap in the face to Thanksgiving. You know, like. It's still Thanksgiving weekend. You know, best quote I heard uh, this week was that, you know, Thanksgiving is like John the Baptist. It's just a predecessor to something much greater, you know, which is Christmas. And, uh, and so we're, we're about there. We, we're, we're making that, that, that shift, and, and, I, and we do it soon. Some of you have been thinking Christmas thoughts since, you know, Walmart put their displays out, which I think was late July this year. And, and I honestly, I can't say that I'm exempt from that because I love Christmas. In fact, we are, we're that family that had our Christmas lights up three weeks ago, and uh, we actually have had our blinds shut to our living room for three weeks because we, <laughs> we were ashamed, and we don't want our, our neighbors to judge us for having our Christmas stuff up for three weeks. But I, I, it's my favorite season of the year, and I love, I love all of it. I really do. So the films, like we've been watching Christmas movies with our girls for three weeks, like, I love Elf and the discovery of the world's best cup of coffee. And we're, we're, we've introduced them to Home Alone because we believe you need to disciple your kids in the way they should go. And, you know, like, I love the music, you know, like Christmas season is the only time you'll hear me listen to Amy Grant and Boyce Men in the same day, you know. Um, I love the smells and the tastes. Like, we've got eggnog in the refrigerator right now. Every year I have at least one peppermint mocha, even though it makes me sick, just because I can. You know, so like, I love Christmas. Like, I get to channel that inner Clark Griswold, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I, I love Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It is. But for some, here's the thing. Some of you in this room right now are thinking, no, it's not. Because for some of us, some years, uh, it's just not. You know, and Christmas is one of those seasons, I like to think of it, it's like a magnifying glass. You know, it's like... It magnifies what's already there, you know? And so, like, when you're in that good place and you're happy and the family's good and, like, life is rolling pretty well, like, Christmas is great. It's like the culmination of the year, you know, the celebration of all things good. But when it's not, I mean, man, it can, it can be a really hard season, right? For those of us who are in a place where we, it's just particularly lonely right now. And the movies come on and the commercials are on and it's all about togetherness around the fire and these kinds of things, like, Christmas can be a, a very, very lonely season. You know, or when there's conflict in, in the family, you know, or, or maybe a past of, like, there, there's distance between you and your parents, or there was neglect or even abuse. The Christmas season kind of brings all that to the surface, you know. And, and even for those of us who, who life is rolling around, like, rolling along pretty well for us right now, and we wouldn't say that 2014 was particularly bad, Right? The Christmas season can kind of build up and bring all these expectations that it, it needs to be the, the most wonderful time of the year that sometimes they're just not met. You know, and it can be, sometimes Christmas season can be the most underwhelming time of the year at best and, and the most depressing time of the year uh, at worst. And we can get to the end, and I don't know if you, you think this, but I feel like it comes out every year where the Christmas season is over and you're like, man, I can't believe it's over already. And sometimes because it was so great, we don't want it to be over, but sometimes I think there's some disappointment there. Like, it's, it wasn't as good as the songs and films would lead us to believe it was supposed to be. You know, and I'm not so disappointed that Christmas is over as much as I'm disappointed that Christmas never came. Not really, not for my family. Right, and so, you know, in those seasons, like, we can find ourselves in this place where it's like, 
we're asking, so this is Christmas? Like, this is it? Is this, is this all there is this year? Is this how it's going to be? And, and I think for those of us who are part of, like, faith communities and we're attached to Jesus, who's kind of a big part of Christmas, right, it can be even especially hard for us because we know how we're supposed to feel. You know, it's like Jesus' birthday. It's supposed to be a celebration and, and a, you know, a reflection on all that God has done in the world and in our life. And, and we're supposed to be happy, but then when we're not, it's like, man, it's, it can be even harder for us, right? And it's like, all right, God, apparently you showed up to some shepherds in a field 2,000 years ago, but, you know, it would be really great as if you showed up in my life right now because I need some help. You know, it's really great that you showed up to, to this teenage girl and let her know what you were doing in her life but it'd be really great if you could give me some clue as to what you're doing in my life right now because I have no idea. Right? In fact, I pray and it's just like crickets on the other end and I find myself wondering if you're even there at all or if you are, if you're remotely good because it sure doesn't feel that way. You know, and, and so I just want you to know, right, for those of you who are in this place like right now, maybe you're dreading this Christmas season um, for those of us who are there, for those of us who, who have ever, you've ever found yourself disappointed in God and wondering what he's up to, you need to know, like, the Christmas story, the real one, as it's, like, told in here, it's your story, right? And in fact, if you're in a place where you're struggling to figure out and understand what God is up to in your life, you know, or disappointed with him, you need to know, like, the Christmas story is far more relevant to your life Right, than the happy, cuddly, purpley Thomas Kincaid painting version, you know, with chestnuts roasting on the open fire and Folgers in your cup, because it's the best part of waking up. Kind of Hallmark card glossed over Cinderella happily ever after version that makes the rounds oftentimes this time of year. Right, in fact, it's far grittier than that. And in fact, I don't know if you know this, but the Christmas story is not couched in happily ever after. Um, it's just not. In fact, the Christmas story is, is couched in 400 years of disappointment with God. 400 years of people wondering, like, what the heck are you up to? Because I don't see it, and I don't see you. And it feels like you've abandoned us. Right? If, you, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Bible is separated into two testaments. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the version that you hold in your hand, if, if you ever do, is... You know, it's such where you get to the end of the Old Testament and you get past the fourth chapter of Malachi and you can turn the page and just keep reading on into, into Matthew, the New Testament. But what sometimes we don't realize and we forget is that this one page represents 400 years of silence. All right, so when Malachi wraps up chapter four of his letter and he puts down the pen, like God goes off the radar for 400 years. 400 years of people not really knowing what he's up to. 400 years where there's no prophets. There's no fresh words of God. There's no miracles that we know of where God shows up to encourage his people or to wow them. Just 400 years of disappointment. Right? What is he up to? Right, what, what, what was God doing for 400 years? Was he just like really ticked off and threw a divine tantrum? Right, was he just fed up with his people and their blatant disobedience? He's just like, I'm out. What was going on? Right, and, and this, I mean, this is precisely why this story is so important. I mean, if you've ever found yourself struggling with wondering what God is up to or feeling like it takes 400 years for God to answer your prayer or wondering why God answers some prayers, like their prayers, but not my prayers, 
or where you wonder whether God is real or whether if he is real, he's good. Like, this is so important because the Christmas story is your story. And I don't think it's any coincidence that you're, you're here this morning. And so this morning, I want to address just a couple questions and suggest some answers to a couple biggies that I think a lot of us have asked at some point, and some of us will be asking a lot over the next few weeks. And the first one is this. It's, what is God doing in the silence? And secondly, what do we do in the silence? What is God up to in the silence, and what do we do? And, and I'm just going to give you a spoiler alert, and this is, this is my, my, my warning and my encouragement to you this morning. Is I, if you're taking notes, number one, never confuse God's silence with God's absence. Never confuse the silence with God's absence. Because we have a tendency, I think, to go one or two directions, and one of those is to try to control everything the moment that God is not showing up, like we want him to, and we step in and take matters into our own hands, or in despair, we just walk away. And it's like, you know what, clearly there is no God, or if he is a God, he's not very good or interested in what's going on in my life. But the Christmas story, oh man, you got to get the Christmas story. Because it is not above the disappointment and the struggle of everyday life down here. In fact, the Christmas story was birthed in disappointment. All right, so I want to begin uh, with a classic Christmas passage. And this is in Matthew chapter 1. So this is, this is how the silence breaks. Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 23. This is a classic. And it says this. The virgin will conceive, and she'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And this, there's, a, there's a big clue here as, as to what God is up to in all this, because if you rewind the clock back 400 years to what God has to say immediately before his silence, this is, this is how he kind of sets his people up. This is one of the, the big themes in the very short book of Malachi. Chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you says the Lord. I've I've loved you. And and by the way, I still do. And I'm going to. It's almost as as if God is saying, like, look. It's like he's warning his people almost. You know where he's saying, look, I'm about to go silent. But before I do, I need you to get something. It's what I've been trying to tell you, you know, during this whole time. (laughs) From the beginning of time. It's the same thing, like I told those who became before you. It's what I'm going to tell those who come after you. you got to get this. I love you. Don't you forget that. Because you're going to be very tempted to in the the coming season. And, and, you know, I don't know where you're at this morning, and I I don't know all that 2014 has involved in your own story, your own life. I don't know whether you're really looking forward to this Christmas season or whether you're really dreading it. But what I can tell you is that there is something that God wants you to get. And it's the same message that God spoke through Malachi to his people ahead of the silence. And it's that, I, I love you. Right? I, I, I always have. Right? From the moment that you were a spark in my imagination, right through, through weaving you together in your mother's womb, even if I, as I've watched you rebel and run the other way and reject me and, and disobey me and shake your fist at me and cuss at me in prayer or whatever it is, you just got to know, like, I love you. Right? And if you, once you come to realize that, you're never going to be the same. Right? So this is how Malachi ends. is God saying, look, you've got to get this. You've got to remember this. You've got to hold on to this. And then God goes silent. So, so what, is he, what is he up to in those 400 years? 
Now, to answer that question or to try to, um, because God is silent, I don't have a Bible verse to show you to answer this question. But what I do have is recorded human history. Right? And for some of you, you might be excited that I'm not going to be going to the Bible because for you, you know, at some point you had a teacher or professor who totally debunked the Bible for you and just ever since you've had a hard time believing it and you're like, you know what, Aaron, that's great. Thank you. I'm glad you don't have a Bible verse for me because I don't buy that anymore. I can't. All right? And that's okay. I, I get that. All right? But you have to know what, what I'm about to share with you that teacher or that professor would affirm and say, you know what, I agree with that, that that happened. I agree. Those three things that you discussed, those did happen in history. And what I want to do with the rest of our time is less exegesis of a biblical passage and more connecting the dots. Because these three events, we could connect back and point to the reason that you and I are in a room, in a community that professes that Jesus is Lord 2,000 years on the other side of the world. All right, so we're going to go on a, a bit of a journey. Now, if you might remember from history class, uh, if you were awake, that at the end of the Old Testament, right, there was a big power shift that was happening historically uh, in the world from Babylon to Persia. And around 360 B.C., there was a leader that rose up um, from Greece called uh, Philip of Macedi. Uh, you don't really need to know him for anything really important, but one of the things that he did do that has directly affected your life and mine is he had a son, and that son's name was Alexander the Great. Right? And historians tell us that Alexander the Great, he was one of a kind. In fact, the world had never seen a leader or a military strategist quite like him. And so he began to just dismantle uh, Persia as an empire. And he began to go on these conquests and just was just dominating the face of the earth. And he would go and conquer a people and they would be submitted to him and he would just do this from nation to nation to nation to the point, he finally got to a point, the famous quote that you might have heard uh, from him, he said, I am depressed for there are no more worlds to conquer. Right? He was a stud. I don't know about his character, but when it came to leadership and military strategy, he was one of a kind, and some say that the world has yet to see another like him. And at age 33, he died. But before he died, he made a very interesting decision. Before he died, he decided that all of his conquered peoples, which included most all of the known world at that time, that he decided that they needed to speak a common language. He wanted to understand them when they spoke, and he wanted them to understand him when they spoke, or when he spoke. So he instituted this common language, called Koine, Koine Greek. And, okay, Aaron, so why, why is this really a big deal? Well, the big deal is that if you've ever heard of Jesus, if you've ever heard the Christmas story, we can connect it back directly to this one decision made by Alexander the Great centuries ago. And it's possible, maybe just maybe, this is just the way that history unrolled itself. It was just a perfect storm, Maybe. But it's also possible that maybe, just maybe, the Bible was actually speaking of something it was, that was true when it said that God is the one who possesses the ability to leverage kings and rulers to accomplish his will in this world. Right? Maybe, just maybe, God was actually using, on the other side of some pretty horrendous things, murdering a lot of people, maybe, just maybe, God was willing to use the circumstances to work behind the scenes in a way that Alexander the Great and those around him did not perceive. Maybe, just maybe. So Alexander the Great dies, and years later, another world power steps onto the scene that you and I know as the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire did, did a lot of different things, but I just want to draw our attention to two things in particular this morning. 
And one is they created a, actually a military peace across all the lands that they had conquered called the Pax Romana. And this made it possible for people to travel from nation to nation to nation uh, across amounts, large amounts of land without a large threat of being attacked. Created this military peace. The, the, the second thing that they did, they did is they created a vastly improved transportation system. Allowing people to go further and faster than they could ever could have done before. Right, so within these 400 years of silence, these three things happened. All right, one, right, a common language is, is instituted. All right, secondly, a Roman peace is laid out in all the conquered peoples. And third, an improved transportation system is created. So, so what is going on here? If, if God is, in fact, not absent, if, if, in fact, he's at work, what is happening? Right, and to answer this, I'll just give you a little illustration. Right? So, so how many people here, you've been to a play at some point in your life, like a live-act play? All right, most of us? Okay. So, so you go to a play, right, and you're watching the show, and they're, they're at one point after Act 1 or Act 2, right, the curtain goes down, you have a break, you get to go out in the lobby and have some popcorn and some pop and flirt a little bit with your date or what have you. you know, and eventually, you know, at some point, you, you, you go, come back in and you take your seat and the lights go down and that curtain comes up. Right, but what oftentimes we, we don't even think about as we're getting popcorn and pop is that during that time, there's a whole lot going on behind the scenes. Right? And there is moving of all the pieces that's setting the stage for the next act. Right? And I would suggest to you that if, if, and only if, this is true, and if God, in fact, does not abandon his people, that during this time, that, that is exactly what God is doing. Is he is behind the scenes in a way that we can't see, in a way that this doesn't give us a whole lot of uh, direct viewing of, in a way that Alexander the Great didn't perceive and God's people didn't perceive, when God seemed to be silent, that he was setting the stage. Or that he was moving the pieces all around to set the stage for what he was about to do in the world uh, in this next chapter. So... So the first thing that happens when that, when that curtain comes up after the New Testament, after 400 years of silence, this is, this is the world that we have now. Right? There's, there's a common language uh, in Koine Greek. Right? So you do know like this wasn't originally written in English. It had to be translated. So if you have a New Testament Bible, right, the language, that was written in a different language. Care to guess what language that was written in? Surprise, surprise. Right? It was written in Koine, Koine Greek. Right, so that when the world was such that, and maybe it's just an accident, but the world was such that when Jesus came onto the scene, and he stepped off the scene and sent his church out, his people, this movement of Jesus, of God's grace in the world, the world was such that now there was a common language spoken. So that when those missionaries went out to share the good news of God's gospel of grace, people could actually understand what was being said. Right, in fact, they were able to write it down, and they did, which is our New Testament. Right? Why, why were they able to understand? Well, because Alexander the Great made a decision many, many years ago right, that a common language should be spoken. And the world was different. The stage was set. And sure enough, it exploded. So when we read you know, about, about Jesus, right, Jesus steps onto the scene. And for those of us who have kind of crossed that line of faith and, and we actually are choosing to, to believe what's in here, right, it testifies that he was right, sent by God, God's Son, on this rescue mission, and in the, in the process, we pinned him to a tree and murdered him. A perfect illustration of why a savior was needed. Right, and then he ascends after the third, or he, he is raised from the dead on the third day, and eventually he ascends into heaven. But before he does, he sends out his church, and what we're told, right, is it, 
it catapults forward in like this staggering scope and speed. Right? And so this small group of people that are afraid, in, in, huddled in this room, afraid of the authorities that be, grows from this small group of, of afraid people to over 25,000 by A.D. 100, right, to 25 million 200 years later, and grows to 2 billion today. Right? How is that possible? Well, part of that was possible because there was a common language that was spoken. Right? And, and then there was a Roman peace, so people could actually travel safely. And there was an improved transportation system, so people could move faster and further than they ever had been able to do before. And, and the movement of Jesus that we read about in Acts on the other side of Jesus' ascension when the church goes out is one of a movement that is moving faster and faster and faster and further and further and further. Right? And here's the thing. If we wipe that slate clean and go back to the Old Testament, we go back to Malachi chapter 4. Right? That was logistically impossible. That was not going to happen. It couldn't. So maybe, just maybe, it's a coincidence. You know, just a perfect storm for this hoax to make its way around the world. Or maybe, just maybe, God wasn't absent. Maybe, just maybe, he was actually working behind the scene. Like moving the parts around and setting the stage so that his message of grace could explode across the globe and eventually find its way to you and to me. Right, but here's the thing. You don't have to take my word for it, all right? This is, this is from one eyewitness account. The Apostle Paul, this is what he wrote in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. He says this, But when the set time had fully come, but when the set time had fully come, or in other words, these were not 400 just random years. But there was a set time that this was a part of the plan where God was setting the stage. When the set time had fully come. This is huge. He says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And now again, if, just if, this is true. If it is, then we have our answer as to what God was up to in those 400 years of seeming absence, of silence, 400 years of silence. What was God doing? He was working behind the curtain. He's working in ways that those who are alive and crying out to God and wondering why God wasn't coming through for them in the ways that they wanted, that God was actually not silent, or he might have been silent, but he was not absent. He was very much at work. He didn't go anywhere. Right? And it also gives us a clue as to, I mean, there, there's something there for us, right, when we find ourselves in our own seasons of silent nights. Right? That even when God seems to be absent, he's not. Right, that even when he seems silent, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that he's not at work. It doesn't mean that he's abandoned you, that he doesn't care. But very often God is at work, but we just, we just can't see it. And, and I will be the first to, to suggest that this is much easier for me to talk about from this stage than it is to actually live out. Because right, the big idea is this, if you're taking notes, number two. Right, when you hear God's silence... Right? And when you feel his absence, right, trust his presence. When you hear his silence and you feel his absence, you've got to trust his presence because he is at work. But when you're in those seasons, man, some of you are in one of those seasons right now and you kind of want to punch me in the mouth right now. You know what I mean? Because this just sounds like so trite 
It's so easy to say, and I'll be the first to say, like, it is very easy to say and much harder to live out. Right, this week I, I ran into a, a friend of ours, and several years ago when we were kind of running in the same circles, she was married, had kids who were in school, uh, life was pretty good. You know, but I ran into her and, and we got caught up, and I've seen her a couple times recently, and, and since that time her husband left her uh, with a boatload of debt, she lost her house. And now she works for barely above minimum wage. She's estranged from a lot of her family. And she shared with me that six months ago, her her dad got dementia. And so this Christmas, she'll be spending Christmas sitting next to her dad, taking care of him, while he says and does things that are not him. I mean, this this is a godly dude who was married to his wife for 62 years before she died. Fought in World War II. He's a good man. But she's going to spend Christmas alongside him, right? Taking care of him, hearing him say things and watching him do things that are not him. And those are going to be the last memories that she has of her dad, right? And she just looked at me. She's just like, when this life is over, I'm going to ask God, like, what the heck, you know? Like, what was that about? And and here's the thing. Like, I, I would tell her the same thing I would tell you is, I don't know. I don't know. And if you and I could sit down with coffee and you were to share with me some of the crap that you've had to walk through, some of the things that were done to you, I would not be able to sit there and tell you exactly why that happened. Or what God is up to in the midst of it. Even if God never intended for that to happen, why he would allow it to happen and not intervene, I don't, I don't know. And the truth is, we may never know. You may never know in this life. But what I do know is that God is not absent. That even though he seems silent and distant, that he is, that he cares. That just as he spoke through Malachi and everybody before him, and Jesus who would come after him and reveal to us what God is really like, that that he loves you. And that God, and I'll tell you this, God has a track record on this one of taking broken things that are so jacked up in making them beautiful, that is the business, if you don't know, that God is in. If this is true. Because that is the whole story that we have in here. Right? Is of people who rebel against him and, and just jack everything up. Who hurt people, who, who, who are violent towards one another. Right? Who use and abuse each other and a God who refuses to abandon them. I mean, this is the message of the cross, Right? The state, God sends his son and we pin him to a tree. We murder him. Right? The one, the only perfect, the person who is like the perfect embodiment of love who has ever walked the face of the earth, the only person who is ever without sin, and what do we do? We find a reason to kill him. But the story in here, if this is true, is that God is a God who refuses to step out but a God who is insistent on stepping in and doing something with that which is broken. Right? And so if you're in one of those seasons, if you've ever been, and I'm guessing you will be one day again, if you haven't, you've got to know that there's going to be seasons where you're going to have to take your cues from what God has said and remember what he has done and not make the mistake of assuming that just because God is silent that he is absent because he, 
He is not. He is, he's very much at work. And he can take the most broken situations in your life and use them for good. All right, so, so here's, here's the takeaway. Because right, well, for some of you that are in this season, it's like, well, what do I do? Because I don't, I don't feel what you're pushing right now. You know, like, my experience is so divorced from a good God narrative. Like, I just, I can't believe that right now. So what do I do? And this would be my, my encouragement to you. If you're taking notes, this is number three. I'd encourage you to ask, what, what would you do if you were confident that God was with you? If you were. What would you do if you were confident that God is with you? And then whatever that is, do that tomorrow. All right, because what you do with this in this season, I'm just going to tell you, what you do in this season is going to, it's going to largely determine whether this is a season you look back on with a lot of regret, or whether, even the mo- if it's the worst season you've ever walked through, whether you look back, and while you wouldn't want to relive it again, you're actually thankful because God did something in you. He was rearranging the pieces not only around you, but in you in such a way that you can actually see. Right? He was actually using that broken situation to do something in here so that he could do something out here. All right? And I'll tell you, the, the Bible is, is full of stories of people who chose one way or the other. Right? Who made the mistake of assuming that God was absent because he was silent. And they made a lot of mistakes. They took things under their control. Or they just walked away from God altogether and made some of the, some of the biggest stories of regret in here. That's what those stories are. But I will also tell you that some of the most beautiful, redemptive, powerful stories. Right, where God did something so extraordinary through ordinary people. And such an extraordinary work in them. Were also dry seasons. Silent nights. Where God seemed absent. And they asked that question. What does it look like to honor God right now? I don't feel your presence, God, but if I was fully confident that you were with me, this is what I would do. And they did that. All right, and so my hope and my prayer is that God will give you the courage to walk there this Christmas and to know that if you're in a rough season, the Christmas story is your story. All right, put the Hallmark cards away. All right, don't buy that stuff because it is a story couched in disappointment but it doesn't end with disappointment. All right, let me pray for you. Lord God, I, I thank you that you are a God that does not abandon your sons and your daughters. That you are a God, as we talked about last week, who is intent on restoring all things. And not, not leaving us alone. And Lord God, I pray for those in this room or those listening online. And they are walking through a silent night right now. That is, is almost unbearable. And Lord God, I ask that this season. That they would not miss the substance for the shadow. Lord God, that they would find in the midst of what maybe is a very dry and difficult season, the God who, is, who refuses to, to leave his sons and daughters alone in their misery, even when we're living in the midst of our own bad decisions and the consequences, that you are a God who does not walk away. That you are the God who can take the most broken scenarios. That you can take even our mistakes or the consequences of those mistakes and you can actually use them for good and that you are actually the God that is in exactly that business. So Lord God, I pray for us as a community 
that you would give us eyes to see those around us, family members, friends, those in our life groups and in our life who are walking through a silent night season right now. And Lord God, I ask that you would give us the capacity to love them well. And for those who are struggling, Lord God, just show us who you really are. May we never make the mistake of assuming that just because you're silent, that you are absent. So we come before you now, Lord. We pray these things in your name.